Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. We'll be reading uh, Genesis uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 25 this evening. Uh, last week we looked at Genesis and, and the foundation of God in the Bible, and the God-centered Bible which He has revealed to us. Before we read God's Word together, let us go to Him in prayer. Glorious Father, we realize that all of creation declares Your glory the skies that proclaim your handiwork. Lord, that it is through uh, the days and the night that reveal your speech and your knowledge. Lord, that the voice even comes from the earth to the ends of the world. Lord, we look up the sun and see your glory and splendor. But also you have given us your word, your word that is perfect, that revives the soul. And the testimony of your word is sure making wise even the simple. And we pray that you would make us wise. Lord, we come to you in our simple state, in our sinful state. And we pray that you would work in us through the power of the Holy Spirit to make us wise, not in the eyes of man, but in the eyes of you, that we would be filled with your wisdom, your knowledge, uh, growing closer to you in our heart, in our head, in our hands, in our devotion to you. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word Lord from Genesis chapter 1. Please take heed how you hear. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was morning, there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let us separate the waters from the earth. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into the one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit bearing trees in which their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their own seed, which according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let there be signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them... Be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning 
the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. When I come to passages like this, I'm always, you'll hear me speak of this often, but the sermons that you could preach when you come to a text and you understand why Puritans would come to a verse and spend months or years on a particular verse and end up with a large treatise on a book about a bruised reed. And you could look at each day. You could preach a sermon on each day. You could preach a sermon on each day from the view of ancient Near Eastern religions and how this is written as somewhat of a polemic against them. You could stop and look and, and look at the, the, the timeline of creation through Scripture and how uh, authors of the Bible turn back to creation for foundations. You could look at modern interpretations of these passages and go through them. But we will look at this in three points and divide it up in three points and, and try and dissect it a little bit. But before I begin, I, I need to get something straight. I come at this as a theologian uh, rather, and a preacher rather than a scientist. I'm not trying to come at this as a scientific mindset, as a scientist who uh, debunks uh, myths that we face in this day, and I'm not trying to do that. I think there's many excellent resources out there on the top of creation, how it uh, works and goes handy, uh, and how we look at creation and it points to a creator. I think there's many uh, great ministries out there, like the Answers in Genesis, that uh, answer a lot of these questions. So I'm not trying to come at this as a scientific mindset. We will talk a little bit about that uh, towards the end, but I'm not trying to do that to begin with, and I want to set that straight. I think it is wise for us to uh, come and realize the strengths of those and come and not try and just steal an argument that we've once heard, but rather be knowledgeable in our expertise. So I come as a theologian, not as a scientist. And this passage just clearly outlines that God created the heavens and the earth. And that's what we looked at last week. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this summary verse then is unpacked in the next couple of chapters. And we then even, in chapter 2, get a, a closer look at God, actually how God created man on the sixth day. And we get a closer look at that. So we go from a broad, broad paint strokes with an outline of what God did. God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, as we looked at last week. And then this we look at how God created it in the space of six days, that he created the light, the day and the night in day one, day two, the sea and the sky, day three, the land and the plants, day four, the moon, the sun and the stars. 
Day five, the creatures of the water and the air. And day six, the creatures of the land. And then we'll also look in a couple of weeks that uh, how he rested on the seventh day. But to begin with, we need to realize that uh, the first point is that God speaks. God speaks and creation appears. Beginning of every day. In verse 3, in verse 6, in verse 9, in verse 11, verse 14, verse 20, 24, it says, And God said, and he commanded creation to appear. But not only did he say it was, you will also notice the repetition of, And it was so, that God created the heavens and the earth by the power of his word. This booming and powerful voice of God that uttered creation into existence. God said, and let there be light, and there was light. It's simple for us to say and to, to, to read. But God said, let there be light, and the speed of light in a vacuum is 186,282 miles, uh, 186, miles per second. In theory, Nothing can tra- travel faster than light in miles per hour. Light speed is, well, a lot. About 670 million miles per hour. If you were to travel at the speed of light, you could go around the earth 7.5 times per second. 7.5 times per second. It reminds you of what we said of John Christendom last year, uh, last week, that as we looked at this, that you could, you, you stop and you read these passages and stop and consider the power of what is actually happening. And creation starts, but like a sympathy, uh, uh, starts to play. It starts with a simple note. Maybe you think of Beethoven's Ninth. The night starts with this sounds of random notes that slowly appear and slowly, gently become more noticeable until there's this one sudden boom and the whole orchestra starts to play like a thunderstrike. And this is the beginning. In the space of six days, God speaks the whole world into existence, visible and invisible. By the power of words, God creates the smallest atom, the largest planet, the greenest tree to a flea. The blue whale, the sea, the tallest point of Mount Everest, which is 29,000 feet in the air, and the lowest point of the ocean, Challenger Deep, which is a point approximately 36,000 feet underwater. The Atlantic Ocean contains about 82 billion billion gallons of water. And that's just one of our oceans. And this is what God does by the power of his voice. He speaks it into existence, and it is so. There are things that are not even seeable by the human eye, or even enormous planets light years away that we can see with the human eye. And he did all this by speaking into existence. He spoke, and it appeared, and it happened. You turn to Job 38 and 39, and he asks very basic questions to Job after Job and his friends try and uh, wrestle with suffering and, and life and the life of a believer. And the Lord comes back and basically just asks questions, were you there? Do you know the measurements of the foundation of the, the earth? Did you shut the sea doors? Have you commanded the morning since the days began? Have you walked the recesses of the deep? 
Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Have you loosed the cords of Orion? And this is what God says. He is in a, in a different realm from us that we can't even fathom. We could send a, spend years and years studying even an ostrich, any creature. And this is what scientists do. They, they spend their years devoted to one particular aspect of the, scientists, the sciences. Or Jeremiah 31, 35 says, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and fixed order for the moon and the stars and the light by night, who stirs up the sea in the waves that roar. The Lord's of hosts is his name. You think about tidal forces and, and how tides go in and out every day. One of the vital parts of our ecosystem in our world that we live, and this is the Lord, the way He has created it. Or Psalm 36 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. He continues to say to Him in verse 7, To Him made the great lights and His steadfast love to forever and ever. The sun rule over the day. His steadfast love forever and ever. The moon and the stars to rule over the night. His steadfast love endures forever. The God is the one who said, Let light shine out of darkness, and it has shone in our hearts to give light and knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The God is the one, the powerful one, who is able to speak the word into existence. We see this throughout the scriptures that Psalm 30, 33 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and the breath of his mouth are his, all their hosts. Yours is the day and yours is the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You just think about the, the sun, the size of the sun, the power of the sun, the temperature of the sun. And th- this comes forth in the Lord through his creation by the power of his words. Even at the start of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, our famous uh, verse on the, the hall of faith, it says, by faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen may not, was not made out of things that were visible. That God spoke the word into existence, that we have faith to be able to believe that God spoke the world into existence. But not only God speaks in the world in existence, we'll look at this when we look at the famous Christ hymn in Colossians, that Christ is there as well in all of creation, that Christ is a a vital part of creation as well. We briefly touched on the Spirit in verse 2, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters last week. But now we see Christ also, that John 1.1, that beginning prologue of the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was nothing that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. That the Christ is there, that the Word of God was there, and this is how God creates all things out of nothing. Or 1 Corinthians 8, 6, for, for God the Father whom all things and whom we exist, the one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things and through whom we exist. Again, God the Father and Christ there in the beginning, Word and the Father were there and through created. 
Christ in Colossians 1.16, Paul speaking of Christ says, For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. The Christ is there and the word is there in the beginning and the word speaks and everything appears. And when we see him in that glorious day in Revelation and we'll sing out our praises before him, one of the things we will sing out in praise to him is worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created God's word is powerful, and do we believe it? It's always hard to to preach this and just preach this text without jumping forward. God reveals himself through the progressive nature of of revelation through, through history. The Bible was not written at one time. It did not come in one moment, but it was revealed through history. But you cannot but think to jump forward to Genesis 3 and coming knowing that the fall is next. And we don't want to dwell on that too much now, but we have a lot in Genesis to get through. And there's ample time to be able to see this. But, but not only is God powerful enough to be able to create us, but God is powerful enough to make us a new creation by the power of His Word. The Christ is through, He is the new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 to be able to see that God is able, through the power of His Word, to be able to create all things out of nothing, but also to be able to make us new, a new creation. And God's Word is powerful to be able to break that stone heart and be able to cause it to break, to be able to give these doxological praises. Though they knew God, they did not honor God and give thanks to Him. But they came futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. But this is, this is what we all once walked in. But God is able to work within us through the power of His Word to make us new that sweet gospel which comes on the feet of those who come and proclaim His good news to us. You could spend a lot of time thinking and considering all these aspects. God's Word is powerful. We're, we're even at the beginning of the Scriptures being able to see that God's Word is powerful because it is God who speaks. God is the one who speaks all things into existence. The God is the one who does all these and speaks. So do we believe God's Word is powerful? Not just do we believe God is powerful enough to be able to create the world out of nothing. That takes faith. But also, do we believe God's powerful word is effective? That God speaks to us today through the Scriptures. That God is able to be able to make our old selves new again through the new creation. Do we believe that? Secondly, we come to that not only God speaks but God saw. The God saw that it was good. We see this in every day that verses 4, verses 10, verses 12, verses 18, verses 21, verses 25, and verse 31, where actually he says it is very good. At each point of his creation, he sees the beauty and splendor of his own creation and says that it is good. 
And we come to the pinnacle of the sixth day when he creates man and he says that he saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And it was evening and it was morning the sixth day. The only day that it doesn't include this is day two. This phrase is not included in there, but uh, it include, in day three it includes it twice. The sky and the heavens needed the earth and the sea for it to be good. Like an artist who sits back after a day's work and gives its nod of approval. However, once the creation was complete, then the signature was applied to the picture. Each day we see that it was good, but the stamp of approval is when it comes on day six with it being very good. John Calvin says this when he's commenting on this verse. But now, after the workmanship of the world was complete in all its parts and had received, if I may speak, the last finishing touch, he pronounces it perfectly good. And we may know that it is the symmetry of God's work, the highest perfection, to which nothing can be added. That God works throughout all creation and he gives it his stamp of approval. It is good. We'll look at this a little bit more as we progress in this third point. But just to stop and consider and, and how hard that is for us to do after the fall with our fallen eyes, even, even with our finite eyes, to be able to stop and consider the glory of all creation that God has made. But again, it's hard not to read Genesis 1 knowing that Genesis 3 is... We read Genesis 1 through the lens knowing Genesis 3 has already come. That we look at the sun and we look at its splendor and all of its glory and we see its light, but we realize that we see it dimly. There's a, there's a moment where the fall happened where I believe roses became less lost some of their color. The smell of apple pie is less sweet. The sound of a baby laugh is less joyous. But to stop and consider even, even those phenomenal things that we see through our fallen and finite eyes, that God gave it his stamp of approval, the, that it was good, it was very good. When we see the sunrise and when we see the sunset, when we see the innocence of a newborn, the smell of spring and the beauty of fall, we see the Creator but we see it in a room that is dimly lit. 1 Timothy 4.4 says that God created everything and it is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving. Again, going back to our sermon this morning of giving thanks to God that everything good comes from His hand. And we look and how much we take for granted when we wake up and breathe air of a new day, when the sun begins and continues to shine, when we have the rain to water the plants, when we have the sun to to beat down on us, the clouds even to give us a moment of rest. All of this has come from our Heavenly Father, the, the Creator of all things. And this should drive us to worship. We, we should look, and, and I think this is what we do naturally, that, that imprinted on all of us is this heart to be able to worship. When we look at the sunrise, we cannot but think about God the Creator and what He has done. Again, when we see the, 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 the newborn baby, 
and its tiny hands and its intricate little nails. We cannot but think and wonder about the Creator who made it, the the one who knit it together in their mother's womb. It, It drives us to worship. Even past the fall, we are able to see God's glory and splendor in all of creation, even if it is but dim. I believe this is one of the greatest arguments against any form of evolution and theistic evolution, that the Bible implies that it was good, that it was made, that it was not evolved, that it, it, God did not make it as subpar, sub-mediocre, and then it became good over time, that He made it, it was so, and it was good. If God had made it with theistic evolution and it evolved, then it wasn't good to begin with. Then, then it didn't become, it became good over time. But God made it and he gave it a stamp of approval day by day that it was good. And evolution requires time. And it wasn't good to begin with. It would come, become good eventually. They were driven to be able to worship You read the Psalms, and often creation is the one that drives the psalmist to be able to worship. You make the springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them birds and the heavenly heavens dwell, and they sing among the branches. From the lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock, the plants for a man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth, the wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, the bread to strengthen the man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, and the stalk has come home in the fir trees. I mountains are for the wild goats, the rocks are the refuge for the rock badgers. Then creation, even reading this and stopping and pondering about each day what the Lord did in a space of 24 hours, just blows your mind, stops and makes you consider you could spend hours, days, a lifetime studying just a simple part of creation and yet God made it all by the power of His Word in the space of six days. And that comes to our third point, the 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 discussion about space and time or day and night. We see in our passage that the repetition of there was evening and there was morning, the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth day. See this in verse five, eight, thirteen, nineteen, twenty three, and thirty one. And over the last hundred years, Genesis one has began to create many different views. 100 to 200 years, the rise of modern thought and scientific studies. This has been more and more under attack and also seen different perspectives come and burst in evangelical thought. Now, I just come, be honest from the start, to be able to say I, we all come at scriptures and things with a bias. I think that that's true. I think that it's undeniable to be able to say uh, that. But as my seminary professor said, biases are not bad, but bad biases are bad. So coming just with my perspective at the start, I'll try to change. I can't change this bias. I believe that we look at six days with 24-hour periods in it. I, but however, I want to go through some and explain some simply 
try to simply explain some of the different views that they have of uh, how different people come to these conclusions, that they come to biblical foundations of how they might differ on this perspective of space and time in Genesis 1. There's many commentaries that touch on this. Uh, There's direct works that touch on this. Uh, One that I would recommend is uh, Douglas Cowley's uh, book, Creation and Change. Uh, uh, This is the book I would recommend you read, Douglas Cowley's Creation and Change. It actually changed R.C. Sproul's mind about his days of creation. So I would uh, encourage you to read this. And uh, finally, my brief point before going into these four different views. But... There are many Bible-believing scholars that I would read many of their works and disagree with them on these aspects of their theology. And I think that's important to be able to say that you can actually respect and admire people that have differing views on this. Uh, I think you can argue with them, you can debate with them, you can wrestle with them, you can point back to scriptures. But I think I'll try and view not from... So, uh, but from a biblical standpoint, these four views come from scholars that would uphold the inerrancy of the Bible, that would turn to the Bible to try and uphold their views of this. Um, so I try to do that with respect, but uh, realizing that I come at this from a different angle. The first of these four views is called the gap theory. And basically this is uh, referenced in the Schofield uh, Reference Bible. And in this Bible, Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And verse 2 reads, And the earth became without form and void, and the darkness was upon the face of the deep. So in this view, the gap theory, it says that between verses 1 and 2 is a period of time where uh, we get something. They would argue that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness is over the deep. That in that period of time when God created the heavens and the earth, that something fell apart or to something like that, that there was a gap in between verses 1 and 2. And therefore God then takes what is without form and void and darkness over the earth and works that to be able to create something. That's the the gap theory. Um, We looked at this a little bit last week, the, the words tohu and vohu. I think it just shows the power of God's ability to be able to create something out of nothing to be able to form a cosmos out of chaos and to be able to to make the power of him that there's these two negatives that without form and void and without darkness over the face of the earth but then this positive nature of the verse that the spirit was hovering this this anticipatory action which God is going to work in amongst and create things so that's the gap theory the second view is the day age theory And according to this second approach, the day-age theory is that each day of Genesis 1-1 may be an age. After all, one day in the sight of the Lord is like a thousand years, we read in 2 Timothy 3-8. But also, we see expressions like this when we look at the days of uh, yom, the Hebrew word uh, in, in, in the Bible, it, we see the days might not specifically reference a 24-hour period. In the days of Noah, in Abraham's day, they can refer to open-ended periods, and that would be their uh, general argument with the day-age theory, that a day is like a thousand years, so therefore uh, when it speaks of a day, then we can... Um, speak of more than a period of 24 hours a day. 
We'll touch on this when we get to my perspective, but that's their perspective of day-age theory, that a day could be longer than a 24-hour period. The third view is the framework hypothesis, and this was uh, created by Nicholas Ritterboss, not a different type of Ritterboss, if you know Herman Ritterboss, Nicholas Ritterboss, uh, contended that the beginning of the chapters of Genesis is a mixture of historical narrative and poetry. He argues that part of the po- po- uh, poetry and the structure which is found, uh, this repeated refrain, that poetry uh, increases drama and poetry is not history, that we see light and luminaries, we see sky and sea and, and then the sea creatures and the wind creatures, we see the dry land and the vegetation and then the, fa- the land animals and man that we see that this framework hypothesis says that each day, day one, two, and three, has an equal day, which then speaks of the, in the place, the sphere, the kingdom, and then the rulers in the third, fourth, and fifth, uh, the fourth, fifth, and sixth day. So he creates light in day one, and then he creates the luminaries in day two. Three, the rulers over that area. He creates the sky and seas in days two, and then the sea creatures and the wind creatures in day uh, five, and then the dry land in day three, and then vegetation uh, and the land animals in day six. And then they would argue that you turn forward to Genesis 2, 5, and 6, and uh, says that no brush of the field was yet on the land, and no small plant of the field had yet been sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground, and in the midst was growing up from the land the watering of the whole face of the ground. That in this period, they would argue that you cannot find this type of cycle in a period of 24 hours. How can plants survive without the sun? You create plants, but then you don't have the sun. You create plants on day three, and then you don't have the sun until day four. And they take this view of verse 5 and 6 and look back at verse Genesis 1. And the fourth and final view is the analogical day. And what this argues is that that it's not ordinary human days, but God's days. The seventh day does not include the morning and the evening or the evening and morning common, and thus they read backwards and say this is how we should read all the other days. They take Again, they take Genesis 2.5, speaking of the cycles, and that, that cannot be found in the, um, the 24-hour period. Voin Portris is one that really um, argues this perspective in Redeeming Science, and basically he says that we measure the day by the measurement of the, the, the sun going around the earth, so how can day one be measured if the sun hasn't gone around the earth? So therefore, they, t- they, they might stick to closest to a six-day creation, um, but they kind of pinpoint that you can't have a day without the, the sun orbiting the earth, or vaguely along those arguments. So there are the four different perspectives. Again, I think that you can uh, wrestle with these uh, biblical scholars that have these perspectives, but I fall down uh, at a simple reading of this, I think, uh, quite simply, that it's a six-day creation. R.C. Sproul says, One must do a great deal of hermeneutical gymnastics to escape the plain meaning of Genesis 1 and 2. 
that uh, you need to do these hermeneutical gymnastics. And I encourage you to read the best arguments for these cases, because I do believe that they have some solid arguments. However, I do um, come back to this view of six-day creation. I think we need to be able to argue wisely with respect, know the best argument and not the worst, not this straw man knockdown argument. Um, but I have not tried to go into a great lecture of detail in this sermon. So here's a few points that kind of shape my understanding as I come to Genesis 1. I think plainly reading Scripture comes and, and gives us a lot of basis that even the, the simplest of minds can come to Scripture and the Scripture is clear. And to the original audience, and even the church of a thousand years ago, they have come to this passage and just believed that God had created everything out of nothing in the space of six days, 24-hour periods. And I think that plain reading is one of my strongest arguments, that uh, we come at this with nuance and trying to understand different aspects. Uh, we, we look at the lens of um, poetry and try and explain poetry because it, it's found in there, but I don't believe that's... Um, that's found. Again, you need to do a lot of hermeneutical, hermeneutical gymnastics, as R.C. Sproul said. The second point is that yom, or the translated word for day, is something used of to speak of a period of time, as we read in Genesis when we looked at the days of Noah. It speaks of the days of people as a lifetime. But generally, this is found in the plural. In Joshua 24-7, a long season. In Isaiah 40, verse 2, a future season. And even in Genesis 2-4, speaks of the day that the Lord made the heavens and the earth. However, often this translation is simply means day. A simple 24-hour period. But also, I think one of the argu- strongest arguments about it being a day is the reference, the repetitive reference of evening and morning. To be able to argue that a day is an age period, I think, rules out the evening and morning references which we find throughout the passage. That not only he says that there was sixth day or fifth day or whatever, that he says that there was evening and morning. And I think, again, you have to do a little bit more hermeneutical gymnastics to explain that day is an age, but uh, evening and morning isn't referenced to an evening and a morning. And then finally, the Devav consecutive. We don't see this in our English Bibles, but in a Hebrew Bible, there's this reference to a, a Vav consecutive, which is known as a historical marker. And we see this a lot in this passage. It says, and God said, and God said, and, and it was so. This, this repetition of this Vav consecutive appears 50 times in Genesis 1. But if you were to turn to the book of Joshua and mark out every Vav consecutive, it would take you from Joshua 1.1 to Joshua 3.10 to get to 50 of these historical markers. That often, they argue that we change the genre. But Psalms do speak of creation, but Psalms never speak of creation like this. Never with this Vav, this consecutive, Vav consecutive marker. And I think this is one of the strongest arguments back from the Hebrew language, that this is a historical reading. We don't question Joshua 1 verses uh, to 3.10 and question if that's historical, but we come to Genesis 1 and we see that it takes 50 times this marker is. So this is why we have this, this sequential, the systematic, God said, it was good, morning and evening, 
the blank the the day we see this repetition and it's not a sign of poetry it's a sign of movement progression and god creating things so again, I think you can hold views that are not six days and to be a Christian. And even in the PCA, there is a, a paper on creation. Um, but I think the question of days might begin to unravel. And sometimes those unravelings are, can be stopped if they're firmly founded in the Word. But ultimately, you can lose the power of God to be able to speak the world into creation. You lose the historical Adam. And I think that's a great uh, cornerstone which you cannot lose. And then even been formed from dust. You lose the simple reading of Genesis 1 that you do need to do these hermeneutical gymnastics. But also you miss Christ in creation. That if Christ needs a million years to create the earth, how long will he need to be able to create the new heavens and the new earth? How long will Christ need to be able to make us a new creation? Is it not but a moment, a twinkling in an eye in, in, in this? But many uh, liberal scholars would go to these verses to try and prove the, the false existence of God. And ultimately, they wind up denying miracles in the Bible because God is unable to perform miracles. But if you believe the God in the Bible who is able to create everything out of nothing in the space of six days, then miracles are but just God working through creation how He always has been able to work. The Westminster Confession of Faith speaks of creation and says, It pleased God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, in the manifestation of the glory of His eternal power, wisdom, goodness, in the beginning to create and make of nothing the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all is very good. That is a perfect summary, I think, of Genesis chapter 1, the verses we've looked at. That God, through God the Father, the God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, through His manifestation of His glory, His power, His wisdom, His goodness, before time began, was able to make everything out of nothing. The world, the universe, the stars, the atoms, the Everything. All things, visible and invisible, in the space of six 24-hour days. And all of it was very good to stop and consider the glory of God when we look out upon creation to be able to see His splendor. In our daily lives, when we look at loved ones and the intricacy of their bodies, when we look at even a tree and how it produces life, that we feed off trees, the, the food which God has provided for us, the, the minds that we might be able to comprehend God and all points back to a creator. And I think that gives us great uh, room to rejoice that God is able and willing and did create all things out of nothing, that we can give him glory for his creation. And I think that is a great blessing that we can have as we turn to Genesis 1 and find the foundation. And we haven't even come to man yet. That God has created all these things and how often we put man before God, but God has made all these things. God does not need man's help. God did all these things through the, by the power of his word. He saw and put the stamp of his approval of his, um, that it was good. And he did so in the space of six days. Let us go to him in prayer. O gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you, your creatures, in awe of all that you have made.
Lord, in awe of you, the Creator, who made it all. Lord, who can fathom the mind of God, who can search His riches, who can mine His understanding. But you, O Lord, are vast and incomprehensible. And we give you thanks and praise that you are incomprehensible, for we then realize that we are your creation and bow down and worship you. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for all the things that you have done, the great things you have done. And to you be the glory forever and ever, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.